Hello, and welcome to Danley and Friends. I'm your host, Ryan Danley. On this podcast, I seek to spread joy by connecting you with my friends and other people who are doing positive things in their community and in the world at large. I also seek to spread connection through encouraging open dialogue, having difficult conversations, and exploring new ideas and concepts. By now, you've probably heard of what's being called the Great Resignation. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, 4 million Americans quit their jobs in July of 2021. Resignations peaked in April and have remained abnormally high for the last several months, with a record-breaking 10.9 million open jobs at the end of July. Who's quitting? Well, it's mostly employees between 30 and 45 years old. But it's also a large percentage of people between 25 to 30 and 45 and up. That makes sense to me because that's the middle of the work population. Uh, It's been a decrease in 20 to 25-year-olds and also a decrease in 60 to 70. And so people at the beginning of their career and people at the end of the career with a little more uncertainty probably want some stability and they're probably not going to be quitting their job. There's a lot of speculation as to what's going on and why people are quitting. I seem to think that people are finding other ways to make money other than traditional routes. And this has become pretty evident as you follow the crypto movement and people making money with that, uh, NFTs, uh, which seem like JPEGs, but if you look into it a little bit more, you'll find that it's a very interesting space as it pertains to ownership and how uh, value is assigned to things in the world, asset management. And that's all we've been trying to do since the beginning of time is find an efficient way to barter. And so I think this is going to change the world, but I digress. The point is the world is changing and things are happening fast and people are finding ways to ride the wave, whether it's they're learning to code or they're doing consulting, they're doing social media management or, you know, these things that don't require the traditional hierarchy or a brick and mortar space or, you know, some sort of product to push uh, unless it's their own. You know, some people are choosing to make art. Some people are drop shipping. They're finding all kinds of inventive ways to make money. People are dancing on TikTok. That girl, Charlie D'Amelio, is worth millions of dollars because she danced on social media. And there's the legend that is Cabby Lame. And I'm not even sure if that's how you pronounce his name, but I've only seen it written. But you know the dude. He was laid off because of the pandemic. He got laid off in March. And he started posting on TikTok after he got fired. And he started doing these life hacks where he wouldn't even say anything. He would just point out how ridiculously obvious another solution was in these life hacks. And so it became this hilarious thing. And my dude ran up a couple million pointing out stupid things on social media. Why would you go to work if you can run up a couple million on social media? Go to work. Nine to five, deal with traffic. On average, you'll make, what, 40 to 80, 90K? Or have fun, make people laugh, (laughs) spend a couple hours a day doing that, maybe, and make millions. Yeah, pretty obvious. The point is, opportunity is there. Opportunity is all over the place at the moment. And even if you're the person who does best, in an environment where you have a job because of the structure or because, you know, that's just your thing. That's fine. There is nothing wrong with that at all. But the reality is, 
as an employee, your earning potential is limited compared to that of a business owner. And so you can have a great career. I've seen people work their way from an hourly worker doing line work, assembling cars or you know, assembling parts to department manager or division manager of a large corporation. And they did this over the course of years through dedication, through you know, hard work and making the right connections and showing up and being on time. To put it succinctly, they found ways to provide a lot of value. Make yourself valuable and then use that value as leverage to justify an increase in your wages. Today, we are discussing salary negotiation. Whether you're asking for a raise in your current position or negotiating a new salary when changing positions or changing companies. And in the latter case, we're going to talk about how you can position yourself to move into a new industry by being able to effectively translate the duties of your current role into the terms of your desired role and showing how the two relate. Why am I qualified to talk about this? Well, that is your determination to make. I've spent 10 years of my career working for large corporations in human resources. A big portion of that was related to compensation, performance management, and also talent development. One of my biggest projects when I first got into the HR space was as an analyst when I was young, I had to implement a new compensation software. And as part of that project, I had to understand our job families and look at the different classifications of jobs, why they were paid, what they were paid from an internal equity perspective and also a local area perspective and an external market perspective. Looking back, it's one of those situations where I realized I probably should have humbled myself because I hated that project when I was going through it. I had to crunch so much data and enter so much data from one system into another. And in that process, I got such a unique perspective because I got to see what the organization valued and why they valued it. And I got to see why different industries valued certain jobs the way they did. And I came to understand the job market in a little bit different of a way. Eventually, in 2015, at the ripe age of 26, I found myself doing compensation for an entire manufacturing facility, essentially by myself. Uh, the person who had done compensation before, the person who had actually developed the system for the location that I was at, was in a different state at the time. And this was the days before Microsoft Teams. It seems so weird now, thinking back just a couple years ago, but that was before we could hop on a video call. We didn't have the infrastructure for it. My direct boss at the time didn't have any knowledge of what I was doing, and so she wasn't able to help. And in this case, here I was doing compensation for 2,700 people by myself. So I got to learn a lot. I had to meet with our department managers and our executives to understand our strategies for our departments and also make different decisions on promotions and raises and equity adjustments and demotions. Uh, every move that involved compensation in the organization, I was privy to and was a part of. And so I got to see things that a lot of people didn't get to see. The companies that I've worked for are great companies, and I haven't named them, and all of my opinions are my own. Let me remind you that. But the fact is, companies exist to generate profit. That's what they do. And so the way you do that is by decreasing your expenses. 
and you try to keep those in check. And that's prudent business. And what is one of the number one costs of a large corporation? Headcount. Any large organization is going to have a very large labor cost associated with it. Your goal is to try to control that as much as possible. You're trying to find the sweet spot between maximizing your talent and minimizing your cost. And that fluctuates depending on how much you value each position or how crucial they are to your organization. For instance, organizations like Apple are hiring artificial reality and virtual reality coders and engineers now, and they're paying them six figures. It's a hot new field. Not too many people know how to do it, and companies want to be on the cutting edge, and so they're willing to pay for that. Whereas someone like a cashier typically makes an annual income of about $25,710, according to thebalancecareers.com. And why is that? Well, it's a skill that's easily replaceable. Most people can be trained to be a cashier. And if you looked around any store or even restaurants lately, you've seen kiosks where cashiers are being replaced and customers check themselves out. The demand is just not there. And this isn't to speak little of cashiers or anything like that. It's more of a statement on the changing of times. For instance, we don't have too many telephone operators around anymore, do we? I'm not sure if there are any. I'm sure there's someone somewhere, some obscure place that uh, was on a documentary one time or something. But the point is, society changes and demand for jobs changes. With so many openings, the demand for workers is as high as ever. So companies have to sweeten the pot. They have to make it a little more enticing for you. You know, this works in your benefit. This is contingent upon a couple things, and the first and foremost of them all is honesty, radical transparency and honesty about yourself and your situation. And two places you need to be pretty honest with yourself is, are you replaceable? Meaning, is one, your job replaceable? You know, is there an abundance of people who would easily be able to come in and do your job? You know, some people that can backfill you that, you know, they're not going to have to wait a long time if you quit your job to find someone else that can do it. So you have your job as one part of are you replaceable, but then there's also you. And that's the part that really hurts and really requires some introspection. Or it can be a fantastic, positive building experience because you've been killing it and you've been crushing it and you've been doing better than you think you have. But you have to be honest with yourself about the job that you've been doing. And the easiest way to be honest with yourself is to bring the receipts. Where's the data? Where is the feedback that you have received about your job that you're doing? Do you have emails from customers? Do you have people that have talked to your boss or your supervisor and have said, hey, this person's doing a really great job or they went out of their way to really help me out? When you look at your basic responsibilities, are you meeting the expectations of them? Meaning, are you taking care of what you signed up for, you know, based on the job description? And then from there, you can use that as a calibration point. You know, am I going above and beyond this? Am I being asked to add more to my plate than was originally expected? And how am I doing with that? If you are able to consistently deliver, if you are able to provide more value than has been asked of you, 
then you are in a great position to negotiate and ask for a little bit more. And this is contingent on a couple of other things. So we talked about yourself and your job. So is the job valuable? If you determine that it is, and you determine that you've been doing a good job, then it's time to look at the health of your department or your area. Now, a lot of my work has been in the corporate space, and so it's going to be mostly with examples and uh, items that relate to that, context that relates to that. However, a lot of this can be used in many other contexts, whether it's fast food or babysitting. It doesn't matter. So uh, there's something to be had for everyone. Back to the show. Your department or area, how are they doing? How valuable are they to the organization? Your key performance indicators, your metrics, your goals, the things that you're measured on, your deliverables, how key are those to the overall goals of the organization? How heavily are they weighted? Now, if you work in a revenue-generating portion of the organization and your goal is tied directly to the health of the organization and you guys have been doing a great job, then you're in a great position to leverage that and ask for more. If your support function, like perhaps IT or human resources or you know administrative, something like that, you have to remember that you are the infrastructure. You keep this thing running. And without you, none of this would be happening as well. And so don't let anyone undervalue you just because you can't directly tie your metrics to the bottom line. Let the Wi-Fi go out and see how much everyone all of a sudden cares about IT. You're valuable, homie. All the way down to the bottom. Doesn't matter if you're the person that cleans the floors and replaces the paper towels. People got to wash their hands. All of you are valuable and you have to understand the context of your value in order to be able to make the argument and tell the story. And so we've talked about you. We've talked about your job. We've talked about your department or area. And side note, the X factor in all of this is always going to be you. You can always command a larger salary because of the value you provide, because you can go above and beyond. And maybe you can break the barriers of your current role because it no longer suits you anymore. And maybe you can move up because you're going hard and people recognize that. So you are the X factor and you can weigh more heavily than all of these things that I will be discussing today. So again, understand the value of your job, your value. Understand your area or department and how they tie into the larger business. And then finally, you have to understand the health of the company overall. If you work for a publicly traded company, their financials are easily available online. You can look up their financials by quarter and you can see how the organization is doing. If you do not work for a publicly traded company, You probably have a sense of what's going on. You know how big the organization is. You know if you guys are spending freely or if money's kind of tight. You know, when you ask for different things, are people kind of tight with the wallet or, you know, is it kind of do what you need and, you know, we'll take care of it. If things are tight, you're probably not in a good position to be asking for more. I mean, this also kind of depends on the size of the organization. So if you work for a nonprofit and you know, perhaps there are only 10, 20 people in the organization, it maybe doesn't make sense to go ask for a $25,000, $30,000 raise. 
However, if you work for, say, a large defense contractor, and you guys have been consistently knocking out your metrics, record sales, quarter over quarter, year over year, and, you know, things are just going well, probably makes sense for you to ask for a significant raise if you've been contributing to that and providing value that you can demonstrate. Demonstrate. Demonstrate is a key word. The way you do that is through documentation and feedback. Documentation is important. I can't stress it enough. Save everything, all the emails, all the letters that you get, all the feedback. Keep a file and make sure you keep a running tab. Anytime you get good feedback on a project, anytime a customer says, hey, this person went above and beyond for me, point to that and show the value that you provide. You're doing a better job than just the average person. So you've considered your job. You've considered the job that you've done. You considered your area and department and how it weighs into the bigger picture. And you've considered the health of your organization. And you decide that you want to move forward with having this conversation related to your wages or your salary. The next step is to determine the right time. Timing is so important and so critical in all of this. Consider how long you've been performing at a level that you think justifies this raise or the salary. It's only been two or three months. You probably need a little more history behind you for people to justify it and for you to show that sustained performance and to show that you're just not burning out. But if it's been a year, a couple years, then you have a much better case. The other thing with timing is understanding your company's cycle times. So when are raises and budgets typically happening? A lot of companies typically give raises once a year. You know, some organizations would do it differently, whether they have like a progression schedule for people that triggers on a certain amount of time or, you know, they do things off cycle. Um, It really varies. But for a lot of organizations, pay raises happen one time a year because it's a pretty heavy lift. Understand when that normally happens. And if your timing aligns with that, it might be a little bit easier of a sell than if it just happened. If it just happened, people are like, eh, you might have to wait till next year. We just did that. And it might have nothing to do with you and everything to do with timing. So something to think about. Also, be in tune with what's going on around you. Let's say you had a lot of turnover where you are, and maybe you're one of the people who's still there. Maybe right at that point, when everything's open and, you know, chaotic, that's maybe not the right time to ask. But maybe once the water's smooth out, get some people in there, get a couple more bodies that, you know, steer things a little more smoothly and things balance out a little bit, then you can point back to that turbulent time and say, hey, I kept my cool. I helped keep this thing afloat. You know, I've been really working my butt off doing the work of multiple people as we've been down headcount. Maybe it's time that we consider just compensation for my contribution. And that is not exactly how you ask for it. You want to be a little more tactical about it. Before you get to that conversation, you want to have done your research. Now, I know that that's kind of becoming a buzz phrase lately, but seriously, you want to know a number of data points, including how much people in your company typically make. You know, what's the salary structure like? How big are the raises that people typically get? You know, is it a rigid structure where they max out at maybe like a 5% raise or, you know, X number of dollar raise? Or are they known to be a little more generous with their raises? 
So understanding how the compensation structure operates is pretty important walking into it so you can manage your expectations. But also as a side note of that, how much do people make doing your role in the company? And you know, how much experience do they have? You want to make sure that you compare apples to apples. For instance, if you're a person that's the first year in the role, you're probably not supposed to be making as much as someone with 10 years experience, you know, depending as a general rule of thumb. So you wouldn't want to compare that as an apples to apples comparison. But if there are people who are you know, generally about your education and experience, those are the people that you want to look at and compare yourself to. Now, I know for uh, especially older generations, talking about salary is pretty taboo. And, uh, you know, it's a thing that they tell you not to do. I think it's bullshit, quite frankly, because it makes sure that people don't understand their value. And sometimes companies have giant discrepancies in what they're paying people for doing similar work. And you'll never know that if you don't talk to other people. And so talk to people. And remember that your salary doesn't determine your worth as a person. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's a number. It's how much money you're generating right now. What matters is how much money you keep and what you do with it and the life that you build and how nice you are to people. So don't worry about that. Talk about it. Understand those data points. How much? Do people in your position make inside of your company externally? How much are companies paying in the area? How much are people paying for your role in the area? And even with remote work, if your job can be done remotely, it's time to think about wider than just your area. You know, how much are people paying in general? Because if the work can be done from essentially anywhere, then the competition is essentially everywhere. And so we've also talked about demand and things like that, but you want to make sure that you have those data points before you walk into the meeting. And now you don't need to make a 20-slide PowerPoint with different moving graphics and things like that to ask for your raise. The point is just to show that you did your due diligence. You did your homework and you understand your value. And people will see that you went through that exercise and that'll show a certain level of competence that maybe others can't demonstrate. That alone will set you apart. If you come up with a solid one pager, because more than likely your boss is probably not the person who has the final say in what your salary is going to be, come up with a solid one pager, bullet points of why you think you deserve this raise. And, you know, when you have this conversation, make sure you leave this with the person that you're talking to, most likely your supervisor. But you want to introduce it in a way that's very warm, very cordial, and uh, make sure that the mood is right. Again, you got your data, you've done your research on the company, and you know, your job, the demand for your job, uh, everything like that. You've done your research about how much your company's made and, you know, the size of your company can justify a significant raise and you've determined all of that. Once you get to that point, you want to have this conversation and you want to very cordially state how grateful you are. So, hey, you know, I really appreciate the opportunities that you've given me for this year, like X, Y, and Z. Uh, I really feel that I've been getting great results in those areas over the last years, and we created some goals around those. And based on my metrics, I've exceeded you know four out of five of the goals and met the fifth one. I was you know very proud of myself, and you know this did really help move forward the organization's broader metrics. Uh, I was wondering if we could talk about adjusting my salary to reflect this higher level of contribution. The key is to let people know that you're grateful. You don't want to go in there talking about your expenses and, you know, that you have bills to pay and things like that. 
everyone has bills to pay. Everyone in the world could use more money. Even Jeff Bezos, I'm sure, if asked if he could have more money, would probably say yes. 99 out of 100 people would say yes to more money, and there's one weirdo. The point is, no one is going to be feeling that, except the one weirdo. And if you're going to be playing a game of statistics, that is not good odds. And so you don't want to go in talking about your expenses. You want to go in and talk about the results that you got and how good of a job that you've done. You want to, again, talk about the value that you've provided. Once you can show your value, that gets people thinking like, wow, this person really is a valuable member of my team. I wouldn't have been able to do X, Y, and Z without them. And maybe they'll vouch for you. You know, that puts them in a different mindset. And from that point, it goes on to the decision makers, and you've done all that you can do. And Personally, I wouldn't advise negotiating any further if they do come back with an offer, because you don't want to push people too far, because in this instance, they're already going out on a limb for you. And so uh, it's probably not in your best interest uh, based on the ill will that you could create to push it further at this point. But when you get the raise, you will get it. Make sure you get it in writing. Documentation, people. It is super important. And when you do get that raise, make sure you say thank you. I mean, it is nice. They didn't have to do it. The steps for salary negotiation when switching companies is very similar. So you want to know your own value. You want to know the demand for the job that you want. You want to understand the needs of the company. These are all very similar things. Some key differences are, one, you want to network. If you're not working within an existing ecosystem, then you need to tap into a new one. And one of the best ways to do that is through organic networking, whether that's through your friends or family and uh, places like that. LinkedIn and social media works a little bit. Um, And one of the best ways to do this is through genuine connection. You know, reach out and see if you can ask someone questions about their organization or, hey, can I get you coffee? Can we talk for five minutes, 10 minutes? Um, And make sure that you have, you know, just a couple questions that you want to ask. And then from that point, you've created a contact. You now have someone who knows your name at that organization and, you know, perhaps is willing to vouch for you depending on how well the first impression went. So, you know, reach out. Uh, ask for connections, ask for coffee, ask if you can ask people questions, ask if they can you know, tell you about themselves and their job and see if they're willing to open up. So networking is a powerful way for you to understand and tap into these new ecosystems. Uh, once you do that, and you know, you know your value, you know the demand for the job you want, you understand the needs of the company, um, again, through networking is a good way to do that. You want to make the employer fall in love with you. You can do this through a number of ways. Um, One of the best ways is, you know, if you're young, perhaps a co-op or an internship where you work for a company for 12 weeks. Um, If you're a little bit older in your career or you have a different situation, uh, maybe it's an apprenticeship. Maybe you work under someone for a little while. See if that lets you shadow them. But what most people are going to do is they're going to have to interview. And these can vary. Some places have open interviews where you can just walk in. Other places have where you have four sets of interviews and you have to answer personality assessments and go through different trials and, uh, you know, all kinds of live simulations of your skill. It can vary, but no matter what the situation or the arena looks like, 
you have the opportunity to make the employer fall in love with you. And you can do this by demonstrating confidence and competence. Confidence comes with competence. And so you are more confident when you know what you're doing. You are the world's foremost expert on you. And so like you're talking to a friend, just telling them your experiences. And what is telling experiences but telling stories? So one of the best ways to prepare is to have some stories ahead of time. Try to understand what questions that they're going to ask you. Typically, these are going to be behavioral style questions. That's what a lot of interviews do. They want to understand not theoretically what you would do in a situation, which is where most people go. They want to understand what you have done before. You know, in this situation, what did you do? What was your role? There's something called the STAR method. Situation, task, action, and response. What was the situation? What was your task in the situation? What action did you take? And what was the result of that action? And so you don't want to say things like, we were working on a project. We did this. We did that. What did you do on the project? What was your specific role? Know the good ones and know the bad examples. You're typically going to get questions like, name a time when you had to go above and beyond. What did you do and what was the situation? Have a story ready for that. Some other questions are things like, name a time when you disappointed a teammate. What happened and how did you address the situation? Really, people want to understand how is it that you act? How are you as a person? It's a short window of opportunity that they get to try to assess your personality. If you're a genuine person and you learn from your mistakes, and you understand your value, you're going to do just fine. The key is to be able to articulate that. And the best way to do that is to have your stories prepared and practice them. Practice, practice, practice. Repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. It sounds ridiculous, but that is how we've learned everything in life, and we seem to tend to forget that. The ABCs you learn because you sang the ABC song hundreds and hundreds of times, and You know what song I'm talking about, and you probably hear it to a certain tune in your head because that's the tune that you learned it to, and now you're unconsciously competent at it, and you don't even have to think about it. It just comes out. You know your ABCs because you've repeated them over and over and over. Now imagine if you have some stories on deck that demonstrate times when you went above and beyond, that you helped a teammate out, that you you met a deadline when you didn't think that it was going to be able to happen, or that you faced adversity and you went through it. Have these stories prepared. What a good introspective exercise to go through anyway. Another way to demonstrate competence is to have questions prepared. Ask, how can you help? And try to anticipate what they'll say and try to have answers and ideas ready. Read the current events. Understand what is happening in the company and ask questions about it. You'd be surprised how many people come to job interviews and don't really even know what the company does. They just saw that a job was open that they kind of fit the job description for, and they applied to it. Wild. Ask some tough questions, or what might be perceived as tough questions. Because remember, you are also interviewing this place of employment. Ask your interviewers, what would they tell themselves starting this job on day one if they could go back? Or what are their toughest challenges today? What challenges are they facing on the horizon? What opportunities do they see in the organization? Try to get the scoop. And I don't mean the gossip. This isn't junior high. Try to get a lay of the land 
try to understand the context of what's going on in the organization and what you're going to be walking into. You'll also be surprised at how many people don't ask questions in interviews. It's like, do you even care what's happening here? If you have a good understanding of what's going on in the organization that you want to move into, then it becomes easier for you to draw parallels between the work that you did and the work that you want to do, the work of your desired role. I was once privy to a situation where a young lady who worked in manufacturing was interested in a job in human resources. Uh, She did quality, and a lot of her job required chasing down quality issues and understanding what happened. She had to get to the root cause. And a lot of this involved interviewing people and discovering the who, what, when, why, and where of everything that went on with that part and how it was placed and, you know, what happened along the process. Well, she wanted to interview for a human resources position. And on the surface, a manufacturing person doesn't seem like they would fit in in the human resources world. It doesn't seem like that work translates very neatly. But the reason that I was able to articulate how similar her work was to the investigations that we did on the human resources side, understanding the who, what, when, why, where, and getting to the root cause, and talking to people and establishing timelines and understanding facts, the reason that I was able to easily convey what she did is because she was able to easily convey what she did and draw the correlation between the roles. She showed us what she did and how it related. She opened our eyes and it allowed her an opportunity that other manufacturing people may not have gotten. It's because she was able to translate and speak our language. She was able to understand and that allowed her to pivot. If you can't translate what you're doing into the new job that you want to be doing, it's going to be very difficult for you to pivot. It's going to be very difficult for people to understand why they should give you the opportunity. But if you do that research, if you do that due diligence, you can find commonalities, you can point to them, and you can use them to your advantage. It is imperative that you know your value. In the position of changing a company and working for a new company, this is a massive opportunity for a significant increase because you can negotiate a little bit harder. Uh, Again, you want to use websites like salary.com, glassdoor.com, payscale.com, and the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And you want to understand what these jobs are worth that you're going for. And context matters, right? So again, your education level, uh, the amount of experience that you bring, uh, the geography of the location that you're looking in, you know, is it a high paying city or is it rural? Um, What industry are they in? What size is the company? What's the revenue? What's the population? Uh, What's the functional demand for the job that you want? And where is society trending? Again, understanding your value. You know, you have this data, you've, you know, made your correlations, you made your connections, you've had your interviews, you know what you're worth. The best thing that you can do in this situation is come up with a good, better, and best number for salary. You have your dream number, the one that you'd absolutely love. Like, man, this is, this would be amazing. This is pie in the sky idea. You have your middle number that you're like, okay, this is you know, probably what I'm worth. This is, you know, a really good salary or a really good wage that I would be happy with. And then you have your bottom number. Like, you know, this is absolutely the bottom amount that I can take, understanding that maybe this is a good opportunity and it comes with 
you know, perhaps a stepping stone into other opportunities or, you know, networking opportunities that you wouldn't normally get? You know, is there other value there? So those are things to think about. There are different schools of thought on whether you should anchor the number or whether you should allow the employer to anchor the number. In my experience, I would give people the advice to let the employer give the number because you never know what their budget is. So say you have a pie in the sky number and you're like, oh man, this would be my dream number. This would absolutely be the best. Maybe you didn't know that they had you know, $30,000, $40,000 more in their budget that they would have been willing to pay you if you didn't say a number. So them providing the number gives you an idea of what their budget is and what they value the position as. And then from there, you can use your data to negotiate. That's how I advise it. Uh, in some instances or in some traditional negotiations, it makes uh, more sense for you to provide the anchor because then people negotiate around that and you, know, you have this control of the negotiation. But uh, it's a little bit different when uh, a company is working with a different set of data than you are. One thing to think about as well is that you don't always have to negotiate just purely based on salary. And so maybe a company doesn't have a lot of money to give. There are other benefits that you might want to consider. So another thing that you could do is ask for PTO or vacation time. Uh, the standard in the United States seems to be about two weeks of vacation for a corporate job. You know, some places are changing that and making it a little bit more robust, but that's another place that you can negotiate. Maybe ask for, uh, you know, another week of vacation or a couple more days of vacation. If it makes sense in the work that you do, ask for an executive mentor or see if there's a rapid or accelerated development program that you can get into. Uh, some companies have rotation programs where you work a couple months in one function, then you switch to a different function. And after that, you know, maybe there's the expectation that you uh, have a final role as a supervisor or, you know, you land in whichever spot you liked in terms of the departments that you worked in, but it gives you the opportunity to see how many different functions work. Those are things to think about. In fast food or hourly or retail, think about that schedule. Maybe there are certain days that you can't work or that you'd prefer not to work. See if you can get that deal sweetened and get the schedule that you prefer. Again, get these things in writing. Documentation is so important, people. There's so many other things that companies can do to sweeten the deal. Um, every company from Starbucks these days is considering things like tuition reimbursement or student loan repayment. So see what's out there and see what you can negotiate with. Again, it goes back to being prepared. Understand your value and you can be able to make these moves. Now, everyone's situation is unique and everyone's situation is different. This isn't one size fits all advice, but there is something here for everyone there is something that can be applied to your situation. If you reach out to me at ryanmdanley at gmail.com, I am more than willing to help you out. I'll talk you through your situation and see if I can offer some advice or even just be a sounding board, uh, help give you some perspective from the things that I know. I want you to remember that the job market is a market. And a market is any place where makers, distributors, or retailers sell and consumers buy. You are selling your labor and companies are buying. Make sure you got some good stuff to sell and make sure you sell it well. And if you need help, I'm always here.